Okay, yes. The South Carolina Gamecocks did absolutely annihilate the Charlotte 49ers on Saturday night in Williams-Brice Stadium. But there are still some questions that are left to be answered. What are those questions? I'll discuss all of this and more today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn, the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster, so post your job for free at linkedin.com slash College. Terms and conditions do apply. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and as always, thank you once again for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen every day. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. And on today's Monday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, we are going to recap what happened in South Carolina's matchup against the Charlotte 49ers. I'll start off by going over the offensive execution and play calling and a couple questions that are still left to be answered on that side of the ball. I'll then dive into some of the issues that we saw on defense and why Gamecock fans should have some concerns about the defense going forward when we are facing much tougher competition. And then in the final segment of today's show, I'll give a quick initial preview of South Carolina's opponent that they're facing this coming Saturday in the South Carolina State Bulldogs. It's going to be one heck of a show today, so let's go on ahead and get on right into it with South Carolina's offensive performance. And the Gamecocks did do quite well against Charlotte on Saturday night, especially in the running game. But there's one overall point that I want you to carry with you throughout this first portion of the show. And that's this. We have got to be careful treating this game like this could be a turning point for the offense for the rest of this season. I just want y'all to keep this in mind as we go through all this. So... Let's start off with the offensive execution in this game. The run blocking was fantastic from the offensive line. I I mean, there ought to be no qualms that the fans have with the offensive line from this past Saturday. They went out there and did exactly what, you know, they should have done against a Charlotte defense, which ranked dead last in yards allowed in the entire country heading into week four. They absolutely owned and dominated the line of scrimmage. And, you know, if there's one thing you can't say about a game like this, this definitely could serve as a confidence booster for an offensive line that has definitely not had its brightest of moments throughout the entirety of this season. And as I've gone over on this show now multiple times, it's not always on the offensive line. But again, they have at moments left some to be desired in terms of how well they protected the running backs and subsequently Spencer Rattler in the pocket. But Saturday night, no issues with those guys. Those guys did a phenomenal job. They got a game ball for their performance. Offensive line, fantastic job on y'all's part. Let's move on to the running backs real quick. Marshawn Lloyd, um, yeah, he was a man amongst boys on Saturday night. I got to be honest, Marshawn Lloyd, he pretty much showcased every skill that he has in his repertoire on Saturday night showing his vertical leap with the hurdle that he got on that 25-yard touchdown run 
early on in the game. Multiple stiff arms on second level defenders to extend drives. The ball carrier vision, which I was extremely impressed with throughout the course of this game, and I thought helped him get multiple yards beyond the line of scrimmage before he was really contacted by any defenders. Uh, Yeah, Marshawn Lloyd had pretty much the perfect game that you could have. He had over 150 rushing yards. I believe he only carried the ball like somewhere between 14 to 18 times. And he had three rushing touchdowns on the night. By far the best game of his career up to this point. It was really awesome to see Marshawn Lloyd have the game that he had after everything he's been through with the torn ACL back in 2020. And then, of course, last year, clearly trying to overcome the mental hurdles that comes with suffering a severe injury like a torn ACL. This year, it's very clear Marshawn Lloyd has been 100%, that he has been healthy, and that he's all the way back. He just needed an opportunity to really get to showcase that. And this past Saturday night, he finally got that chance. And he definitely capitalized on that opportunity. Another guy that capitalized on his opportunities for the most part was Christian Beal Smith. I thought that he did a really awesome job for his first game of significant snaps this season. He showed a lot of leg drive on some of his runs when he met defenders at the line of scrimmage which with his big frame helped him to get some extra yards after contact. I thought that for a guy his size, Christian Buell Smith showed a lot of grace and dexterity with his ball carrier ability. And I also thought that he was a very willing blocker. He had one particular play in the second quarter, I believe, where Jalen Brooks had caught the ball, I believe it was on a drag route, and was running to the bottom half of the field. And Christian Bill Smith literally ran up on not one, but two Charlotte 49er defenders and absolutely clobbered them in blocking and helped Jalen Brooks be able to get a bunch of extra yards off that underneath route. So Christian Bill Smith, I thought it was great to see how much energy he brought to the football field. He was clearly very excited in my mind to be back out there and to get the chances that he got. And again, he showed a lot of reasons why South Carolina's coaching staff wanted to bring him into this program, wanted him to be a part of this running back group that the Gamecocks have. So now it really does look like the Gamecocks have three backs that they can truly rely on, which is Marshawn Lloyd, Juju McDowell, and now Christian Beal Smith. So it was really awesome to see Christian Beal Smith have a solid night in his own right in the running game. Spencer Rattler, we will talk about him real quick. He still wasn't always as accurate with the football when he had time or he was on the run, which was a bit disappointing to see because of how much help he got in the running game. But He did do a good job, in my mind, of either throwing the ball away or simply taking the underneath route when he needed to, not trying to force any passes into highly contested areas. I still do think that Spencer had some issues in terms of seeing guys that were breaking open on the field, and he had some more time where... He could have, you know, just stood in the pocket, maybe withstood any pressure that was coming and been able to deliver a pass. He's still having some issues trusting his pocket at times. And, you know, I will admit at this point, it seems like that some of the things that continuously are showing up in these games are just things that Gamecock fans are going to have to just sit and deal with or maybe grin and bear with as this season progresses because Spencer Rattler is in year four of his college career. And again, I'm not trying to write him off here because he clearly has a ton of talent. He has showcased that multiple times. He has had some wow throws so far this season. And again, maybe it is he just needs more time in this specific offensive system. But some of the things that I keep seeing are things that, quite frankly, are more individually based and maybe not as much because of the scheme. While granted, the scheme does compound issues at times. So 
That was what my thoughts were on Spencer Rattler again this past Saturday. He did, again, not have to do a whole lot because of the rushing attack, so maybe it's not fully fair to judge him for that, but that was just my quick thoughts on him. Now, moving on to the play calling. Uh, it's pretty clear that South Carolina wanted to run the football. 14 out of the first 17 offensive plays were designed run plays. So, yeah, and Shane Beamer said in his press conference on Saturday night after the Charlotte game that, yeah, I told Marcus Satterfield this week that I want us to run the ball, and apparently he said they he wanted them to run the ball 40 times. That's exactly the amount of times that South Carolina did run the football on Saturday night. He ran a lot more two tight end sets out there, including Nate Atkins as a blocking tight end, which I thought was a great sign on his part. He called a bunch of counter and inside zone run plays. Didn't really get all that creative in terms of the variety of concepts he called. But against Charlotte, understandably, he didn't really need to. He could just call a couple of their staple runs in his playbook. And it worked pretty much time and time again. He also called a lot of quick passes to the edge, including some bubble screens and some orbit motion screens, getting the ball out into South Carolina's playmakers and allowing those guys to just try to go get some yak yardage or yards after the catch. Now, with this entire game, again, I want to emphasize, we have got to keep in mind, South Carolina was facing quite literally one of the worst defenses in all college football on Saturday night in Charlotte. So, there's not exactly a whole lot of solidified takeaways that we can have in terms of can this translate into some of these other games that the Gamecocks still have to play later on in the season. Because I promise you, South Carolina is probably not going to face another defense that's just as bad as Charlotte's was. Yeah, maybe Vanderbilt's defense isn't as good. Maybe Missouri's defense still isn't that great either. But neither of those defenses are probably still going to be as bad as Charlotte's was. But there is one massive plus I do think that we can take away from this game going forward, which is this. Opponents who face South Carolina will now have to respect the running game more than they did going into last weekend's game against Charlotte. Because, again, South Carolina now has shown that they are willing to give the ball to their running backs over and over and over again. They showed a lot of success in terms of just, again, running a couple concepts, but continuously being able to make plays despite the defense probably knowing what was coming. Can you do that against every single team? Of course you can't. But either way, Marshawn Lloyd showcased why teams need to respect him now. Christian Bill Smith did the same thing on his end. Now, what is still unknown with this offense for the rest of this season? What are a couple questions that we still need to see be answered? I'm going to get into all of that in just a couple of moments. But I do need to pass along a quick message from our friends over at LinkedIn, who are the sponsors for today's show. Now, if you're someone who's looking to hire a new employee for your small business, it can feel like a high stakes wager type of game. Literally like you are at a poker table in Las Vegas with the odds that you are facing because you want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And quite honestly, you're not always guaranteed that. That's why you need to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier for you to find the people that you want to talk to faster and importantly, for free. Myself being a recent college graduate, I have found it to be quite easy to network with multiple alumni of the University of South Carolina, which could set up future job opportunities for myself and the people that I have networked with. Also, when you use LinkedIn Jobs, you can create a job post in minutes to reach not only just your own personal network, but a worldwide professional network that consists of over 800 million people. Y'all, that is a lot of people to reach out to. 
You can also add your job to the purple hashtag hiring frame on your profile, which helps to find the right people that fit the job description to AT through use of screening questions in order to filter through candidates and populate viable choices. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus other leading competitors in the industry. LinkedIn jobs, again, helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Did you know that nearly every week, 40 million job seekers are visiting LinkedIn. Why would you sit back and watch all this happen? Post your job for free today at linkedin.com slash college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free today. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome back to this Monday Game Recap edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. All right, so real quick before I move on to the defense, let's talk about some of the unknown questions that we still need to see answered on the offensive side of the ball. Starting off with this, is Marcus Sadfield going to use this performance as a reason to prioritize the running game more? The only reason that I really ask this is because we saw against both Arkansas and Georgia, two opponents who obviously are way more challenging and way tougher than the Charlotte 49ers were this past Saturday night. And in both of those games, we sort of saw Marcus Satterfield really try to get the passing game going the first couple drives in both those contests. And it wasn't until the Gamecocks were down by a couple of scores that all of a sudden we began to see the Gamecocks sort of really prioritize the run game a lot more. And obviously this was something that I mentioned on this show this past week in which I pretty much said that this doesn't make any sense at all as to why this is what we are doing offensively. This game, obviously, things were a lot different. But my question is this. Is this going to happen in games like Kentucky, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Clemson? Are you going to trust that the running game can get going against opponents who are probably going to have a lot better personnel in terms of being able to match up against South Carolina in the rushing game? Or are you going to just try and let number seven try to throw the ball all over the yard and essentially let the opponents know, hey, we're just going to try to air the ball out over the top of your heads. So at the beginning of this game, you probably don't need to respect the rushing attack very much. That is a question that we still don't have answered yet. We'll probably really start to find out, especially against Kentucky in week six, which is two weeks down the road. The next question and final one before moving on to the defense. Will this help Spencer Rattler's confidence with this offense? Obviously, I talked about this last week as well. When you have a really strong rushing attack, it only can serve to help your passing attack because if defenses have to respect the rushing attack, they'll load up the box more. It'll open up more space behind the front lines that will give your receivers and your playmakers a chance to get open. It'll allow you more space to be able to lead your guys and you can start to dissect them bit by bit. And then at that point, once they have to respect both the passing and rushing game as an offense, quite frankly, as long as you've got really solid personnel to do that consistently, you have a defense right where you want them. South Carolina has not had that yet all season. So now that they have at least shown that they can dominate or at least string together some really solid runs early in a game with the running backs that they have, which are is a group of running backs that would start for a lot of other teams in the Power Five, 
Are teams now going to respect that more? And subsequently, will that give Rattler more confidence in this system to where now maybe it will help him make some better decisions and also be able to complete some of these passes in a better way? fashion we'll have to find out as this season wears on but it's definitely a question that is still up in the air in my mind up to this point all right now let's move on to the defense real quick my overall point with the defense for y'all to take throughout this portion of the show is this there's some reoccurring issues right now with this side of the ball look Take the injuries out of it, okay? I understand it. We have at least three to five guys that were still out this past weekend who are really big-time contributors for this team. I believe Alex Boogie Huntley wasn't able to play. I don't believe Darius Rush was able to play. And there were a couple other guys, I think, that were still banged up as well. Devontae Reed was able to go. Cam Smith was able to go. But the point being, they were still down a couple of guys Bottom line, this defense has got to play better in multiple spots. Let's talk about the execution from this past game against Charlotte. I did like the fact that there seemed to be a lot more communication between the second and third levels of this defense, which was something that Zach Pickens and some other veteran defenders on this team really talked about during their press conferences this past week, saying that this was a point of emphasis. And from what at least I saw, it seemed like that they really did make an effort to try to ensure that they understood the play calls between every person on the field on every single play in this game. I thought that was one good thing because communication is vital if you want to be in the right spot. I also thought that they did do a solid job in terms of rush defense, particularly in the box. Now, there were a couple of edge runs that still did get past the first level and sometimes the second level having to play catch up. But for the most part, Charlotte was not able to run the football consistently against South Carolina, which is what we should have seen with the talent advantage the Gamecocks have up front. Now, in terms of how some of these runs did break free for extra yards, I did notice that there were times where there were some defenders who would either read a block maybe the wrong way or would just crash into a completely different gap and work themselves out of the gap that they started in on a run play, which is where the running back would end up going and it would lead to solid yardage for the 49ers offense. I have one example to point to. Jordan Birch at one point was lined up outside of a tight end, and I'm not trying to pick on him. I want that to be abundantly clear because Birch had some really solid plays in this game as well. He was on the outer half of the tight end at the bottom of the offensive line formation, and he wound up going from there, which is actually known as the E-gap on the line of scrimmage, to the A-gap, which in layman's terms means he went from being outside the tight end, crashing all the way to where the right guard and center gap was. The run ended up going right where he started at, and the running back, I believe, gained like nine yards on the play. It was first and ten. Now, I need to make this clear. I don't know if this was a play-calling deal, if Jordan Birch was actually told to crash all the way inside, and it was meant to be some elongated stunt move by the defensive front, or if there was some confusion as to what exactly his assignment was. But either way, this is an issue that does need to be rectified, especially considering the fact that we are now four weeks into the season. That's the kind of stuff that we should not see happening if it is indeed sort of a communication issue or an issue with the terminology and language of the defense right now. And another thing is when rushing for pass rushers early on, the Gamecocks didn't get a whole lot of pressure. And this led to Charlotte's first touchdown of the game. And even sometimes when there was an extra blitzer involved, the Gamecocks had a hard time getting pressure early on in this game. Another thing that really concerned me when watching this game back 
was the defensive backs. They had a really hard time keeping up with the 49ers' wideouts at certain points in this game, especially when it came to RPOs. I saw Charlotte call a few RPOs early on to try to get some things going in terms of some confidence, trying to string some successful plays together, and it worked pretty well for them. I don't think there was a single RPO that I watched at least in the first half of the game, that did not work for Charlotte. For any teams that South Carolina plays for the rest of this season that have a bunch of RPO schemes or a bunch of RPO concepts in their offense, this is something that could come back to bite them later on. And there was a ton of penalties on the defensive backfield, way more than we are used to seeing, including guys like Cam Smith, who by himself had multiple penalties in this contest. Now, I will say it wasn't all bad. Debo Williams at linebacker and Gilbert Edmond at defensive end were both very active in this game. And again, while it wasn't always perfect, both those guys played like their hair was on fire. And in my opinion, Debo Williams has earned the right to get more snaps in that linebacker core. I think that he has really come along in this defense since he enrolled in the offseason back in the 2021 offseason. So he's now been in the program for a while. He's gotten his feet wet in terms of understanding the athletes he's facing in the SEC. And I think he's really starting to find a groove in his role, and he's really adapted to this team, which is awesome to see. Gilbert Edmond, look, Gilbert Edmond, he could be a really solid speed rusher for this Gamecock team coming off the edge. I said that he did well against Georgia the weekend prior. Gilbert Edmond, again, he might not always be right exactly where he needs to be, but he gives a thousand percent effort. And it's not very often when he does make a mental mistake in terms of where he needs to be. So Gilbert Edmond is going to help this defensive line out in Jordan Stratton's absence. But to stick with the D-line real quick, I will say this. They got to do a better job of reacting to screens. There was about three, four, maybe even five screens in this game where Charlotte gained an absolute load of yards because the entire defensive line basically did not really realize that because they basically got through the offensive line scot-free so easily. I never saw on any of those screens one defensive lineman all of a sudden just turn around and start retracing and going back, taking a pursuit angle towards where the running back was, which is what you need to do as a defensive lineman if you get through that easily. South Carolina did not do that at all. They got to work on that in practice. It is a very simple and easy fix. It really all comes down to communication once again. One guy yells out, pass, screen. The entire D-line will know. They'll all go back and retrace, and then they can take their proper pursuit angles down towards the sideline. Welcome back to the final segment of this Monday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. All right, so let's talk about the play calling real fast on defense. I thought that Clayton White was more aggressive than usual in terms of his blitzing and disguising blitzes in the beginning part of this game, which I like to see because, quite frankly, I feel like up to this point in his career at South Carolina, Clay White has not been willing to blitz a whole lot. While I'm not saying you got to blitz a ton as a defensive play caller in order to have success on defense, it definitely can help when you can really get some of those blitz concepts working seamlessly between multiple guys, both on the defensive line, in the linebacker core, and in the secondary. Granted, South Carolina was in this scheme for their first year ever this past season, so obviously it's very understandable why they didn't blitz a whole lot last year. This year, though, it's been sort of more of the same. They hadn't really blitzed a whole lot unless it was an obvious passing down situation on, say, third down. This game, South Carolina, for one reason or another, just decided they were going to blitz way more on third down. 
And it kind of played into Charlotte's hand early on when they did this because Chris Reynolds did a great job of throwing it down to his hot route, which is essentially a route where, hey, listen, if the defense brings you a ton of pressure, they're blitzing, they're bringing a ton of heat, it is a hot situation, it is a high-pressure situation, I'm your hot route, get the ball out to me. Normally, it's going to be something in the flat. Chris Reynolds recognized this a lot on these third-down blitzes, did a good job getting the ball out, and Charlotte also sometimes made sure to try to counter the extra blitzers by having six guys back there to protect Chris Reynolds. Their play callers did a really good job at calling some quick passing plays in order to try to negate South Carolina's obvious advantage up front at the line of scrimmage in terms of their pass rush and overall athleticism. And Charlotte also did try to attack the edges of the field, trying to do some of the things really that Georgia did against South Carolina's banged up secondary. It did work at times, but Charlotte was really never able to get anything consistently going down the field, which did kind of end up being their downfall at a certain point in this game, especially late in the first half and early on in the second half. It really started to snowball for them at that point. But I will say, credit to Charlotte. They came out with, in my opinion, a decent game plan on offense. And they made it work for a while, but it just wasn't able to work for all 60 minutes. So, bottom line, South Carolina, I think, did a good job overall in terms of the opponent that they played this past weekend. There's still some things, however, that they need to figure out. Some questions that are left to be answered, both on offense and on defense, if they want to win some of these games down the road against much tougher opponents. So speaking of opponents down the road, let's talk about South Carolina's next opponent in South Carolina State real quick. I'm not going to get into a complete deep dive into what they do with their scheme and their personnel tonight. I still need to watch some of their games from earlier in the year or try to find a game to watch. It very well could be the UCF game, which is a game that they did lose 56-10 to in Week 1. They are currently 1-2 and two on the season. I believe they defeated Bethune-Cookman in Week 2. And then in Week 3, they lost a high-scoring affair, I think, to North Carolina A&T on the road. But I will say this, this is not a game where the Gamecocks should try to waltz out there and just, you know, think they're going to roll over. This is South Carolina State, which is located in Orangeburg, South Carolina. It's not too terribly far away from Columbia, South Carolina. This is a team that could have a lot of players who wanted to play for South Carolina, maybe at least tried to make it as a preferred walk-on to South Carolina, and the Gamecocks did not take them. And you can bet your bottom dollar that Buddy Pugh, who is the head coach at South Carolina State, he is going to use that as motivation for his team to get them fired up and to get them up and motivated for this game in Columbia this next Saturday at noon Eastern Daylight Time in Williams-Brice Stadium. Buddy Pugh has been there for a long time now. He has a career record of 143 and 81. And to get back to what I mentioned earlier in terms of them getting up for a big game, they won the Celebration Bowl last season, which was a big deal for the program. And they defeated Jackson State, who was led by Deion Sanders and has legit four and five star talent at certain spots on that team. So again, South Carolina should not expect to be able to just walk into this game and for South Carolina State to just wave white flag from the opening kickoff. They're not going to do that. These guys are going to try to give South Carolina everything that they got going into this game, probably throw the kitchen sink at them. So if I need to give you all a quick summary of maybe a goal that South Carolina needs to take into this game before I head on for the rest of the day, that would be this. South Carolina needs to do the same exact thing that they did against Charlotte. Try to get some of these smaller issues worked out, get the fundamentals down pat, and most importantly, need to get healthier on defense, get some of those guys back, so that therefore, you'll have everybody ready 
for this next game against the Kentucky Wildcats, which again will have a huge impact in my mind on how the rest of the season could play out and the momentum South Carolina will carry into their bye week in week seven. So that is going to do it for today's show, the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. What were y'all's thoughts on the Charlotte 49ers game? Was there anything that disappointed you that I didn't mention on today's show? Maybe something that surprised you or you were very impressed with that I did not mention. And what are your initial thoughts about this upcoming game against South Carolina State, an in-state battle between the two schools? I want to hear all of y'all's thoughts, as always, down below in the comments section if you're watching this show on YouTube. But of course, if you're listening to today's show on an audio podcast app, wherever you get your podcast daily, you can also feel free to shoot me a message at a line and underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll be sure to respond to any replies or comments that you have for me as quickly as I see them. And of course, if you've enjoyed the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, but maybe you want to check in on the rest of the SEC conference, Texas A&M and Arkansas had an absolute nail-biter in which Arkansas had a doink off the top of a goalpost to lose in the end to the Aggies this past Saturday. Tennessee, have they officially gotten the monkey off their back with the Florida Gators? And also, Kentucky managed to defeat Northern Illinois, but they didn't look great doing so. You want to hear more about some of those games? Go check out Chris Gordy over on the Locked On SEC podcast, who covers all 14 SEC teams in just 30 minutes, with, of course, the assistance of some of the local team experts of Locked On. So again, make Locked On SEC your second listen after, of course, the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But with that being said, y'all, that does it for me on today's show. I hope that y'all have a great rest of your Monday, a great start to the work week, and I'll catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. 